0: Well, this week I've been faced with a question, and the question is, what, what do I say in my final opportunity to encourage this church family from this platform, at least for this season? And as I've wrestled with that, it has been a wrestling because this is a moment that I've been blessed with. I feel very fortunate that our elder team were like, yeah, go ahead, you can share on, on, on your last Sunday with us. I feel fortunate to have that opportunity, and, and I don't want to squander it. And so as I prayed and as I considered and said, Lord, what, what do you want to say? I felt led to Romans chapter 12. And so I'm not going to start out with any fancy story or try and get you guys to laugh this morning or do anything like that. I'm just going to go straight to God's word because God's word is sufficient in and of itself. And so I want to ask you to turn there with me, Romans chapter 12. This, this will be our key text this morning. And There's just a couple of verses, the first two verses that we're going to be looking at specifically. So Romans chapter 12. And what you'll find in Romans chapter 12, as you're turning there, is that it starts with this word, therefore. Now, if any of you have done any sort of study, you know that we need to ask a question. Why is it there? If a therefore is there, What's the therefore, therefore? Okay, that's the, the cute way of saying it. And so the reason that this therefore exists is because God has, by his Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words, knowing that they're going to be in the canon of Scripture and read by us, even in 2019, Austin, Texas. And what he's inspired Paul to write is this incredible book. And through this book, he's painted this picture of the depravity and the brokenness of humankind. Read Romans 1 and you'll get a pretty accurate picture of that. It then goes on and talks about how the wages of our brokenness, our sin, is death. But the gift of God is that we can have not experienced death because of what Jesus has done in his sacrifice for us. If you go on in the book, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's a rich story that's happened so far, okay? And then it kind of leading directly into this is talking about the riches of God and how unsearchable, how untraceable are his ways and the things that he does. That's why the therefore is there. It's saying because of all that stuff, because of God's grace and his goodness and the gospel, this is why we need to then do the things that we're about to read about. It says this, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. What's this passage speaking to? Well, several things. There's a bunch of different concepts that you may have heard as you heard that passage read. It talks about pleasing God. It talks about being conformed, but also being transformed. And it talks about God's will. And I just wanna acknowledge with you this morning that this is a common passage. If you're a Christian, you've most likely heard this passage before. And I know from my own tendencies, That when I've heard a passage a lot, it's like when you hear a worship song a lot, you kind of, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get this one. I, I know this. And so there's a tendency for us to hear this this morning and be like, oh, yeah, don't be conformed, be transformed, spiritual worship. And you kind of just go, yeah, I know this one. And I want to encourage you this morning that we cannot just view it like that. We can't see this as like, I don't know, spiritual spaghetti, you know, like it's all just this tangled spiritual concepts. And you're like, yeah, it's great. Nice. Really, what I'd rather us do is pull this apart and say, okay, what is God actually saying through this? And to do that, I think we really just need to pick on one strand, if you would, of that spaghetti and say, okay, let's start somewhere. And so I want for us to actually start in verse two. Go back to verse two with me. What it says in verse two, we're just going to take one phrase. It says this, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. What is being conformed? Well, something is conformed when it takes the shape of something else. If I was to mix up some jello up here and then pour it into some sort of mold, it would be what? Conformed into the shape of that mold as it went and set. Or maybe some of you have an old hat that you like to wear, a favorite hat. The reason that hat is your favorite hat is because it has been conformed through sweat and heat and time spent to the shape of your head, right? Or an old pair of shoes or boots, like the same thing. They become conformed through time and, and, and time spent. And what the scripture is saying to us is do not be conformed. To what? This age. What is this age? Well, we could answer or attempt to answer that from the author of Romans perspective. We may say, well, let's examine Paul's life and the Roman culture. And when he's saying this age, this is what he means. And there may be some value to that. But I want to remind you guys this morning that God's word, it transcends time and culture. And so when it says this age, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in this age, in Austin, Texas in 2019. And so when it says, don't be conformed to this age, what does that mean for us? And so we could go into now like looking at American culture and history. And I would actually probably geek out on that and enjoy that. But it's probably not a good use of our time. But what I would say is if we look at the short history of America, there have been several big ideas that the nation has surrounded itself and said, this is what's most important in life. And often we've called that thing, the American dream. And what I would say that if we were to kind of look around us today and take stock at the culture around us, what it says is most important. The thing that we surround ourselves with in this age is self. Self is the king of this age. And what I mean by that is the American dream has formed and morphed into a very self-centered thing. If we were to look at the lives of those around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, we would see that self-happiness and self-fulfillment are at the top of people's list of things that they want in their lives. Success is another thing. Reputation, possessions. The next thing or the next experience, the next holiday, vacation, whatever, next stage of life, it's a very self-centered age in which we live. And God's word word tells us, don't be conformed to this age. And we could apply that to ourselves and say, that means don't be conformed to this age of self. These self-ideals, you see, are at odds with the life God is calling us to. And when I say us, I mean all of us, all of humanity. God's call is open to anyone, whether you're a Christ follower or not. By the way, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, thank you for being here. We're excited that you're here with us. And I would hope that you would hear this morning that there is another option outside of the American dream to living. As I remind Christians of that this morning, I want unchristians to see the other option as well. This other option is only possible through God's transformation of us. That's what it says. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. So what is this other option? It's the new life that God is calling us to. And it's very accurately described in Matthew chapter 28. And so I'm going to ask you to turn over there with me. Matthew 28. This is a very, again, famous scripture. So my hope is that you would hear it with fresh ears today. But Matthew 28 articulates for us option B. It says... In Matthew 28, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave as he ascends into heaven. He's raised from the dead. He's been hanging out with his disciples. And he says these words to them in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. What do we call this scripture? The Great Commission, right? Yeah, it's the Great Commission. The Great Co-mission, as in Christians together, corporately, on mission, doing what God has called us to. And what I want for you guys to start to see this morning is that there is a war, that there is a battle going on in our hearts between the things that the world calls us to and what God calls us to. Essentially, what I'm saying is this, as Christ followers, there is a feud in our hearts between the American dream and the Great Commission. What's a feud? A feud, if you looked up a definition, would be described as this, a prolonged and bitter quarrel or dispute. And so what I'm saying is there is a prolonged and bitter quarrel in our hearts between what the world tells us to live for and what God calls us to live for. And there's this prevalent poison amongst the American Western church, a lie that tells us and believes that you can have both, that you can have a foot in both camps. There is a basic equation that I've seen that I've wanted to use in my own heart, in my own life, and that I know that all of us as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, that you struggle with. And this equation for living is this, a little bit of Jesus, plus a little bit of the American dream, equals the perfect life. And what I want to stand up today here and say as I have this last opportunity to speak to you is that is flat out a lie. It's not true. Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus speaking again. says, "'No one can be a slave of two masters, "'since he will either hate one and love the other,' or be devoted to one and despise the other. It doesn't get much clearer than that. You cannot be worshipping the American dream and the Great Commission. Jesus is emphatic in his statement that we can only have one God. You see, God is not content to share his worship. He wants all of us. He wants us as his followers to be all in. He wants us to put all our chips on the table on him. That's the life that he's calling us to. And there are absolutely consequences when we try to live a divided life. If you attempt to live with one foot in both camps, the American dream and the great commission, there are going to be consequences both internally and externally. I want to explain that internally. Internally, what happens is it creates this tension and this division in our hearts and our lives, it's actually very well described in James chapter four. I'm moving quickly, but it will be on the screen here behind you. James four, verse one says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are, that are at war within you? You desire and do not have, and if you skip down to verse four, it says adulteresses, as in person who chases after other lovers, other guards, It says, adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. It's harsh, but it's true. Internally, when we try to live with a little bit of the American dream and a little bit of God's call and commission on our lives, it's going to lead to this conflict in our hearts and in our lives. But there's also external consequences. You see, we each have people watching us. They're looking at us to know what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does that mean in a practical sense? And as they're looking at us, they're asking that that question, whether that's extended family or neighbors or maybe friends. And especially if you have kids, your kids. They're watching you to see if what you say and what you do lines up. And if you haven't realized this yet, People are actually really good at sniffing out inauthenticity, even your kids. And so when we say one thing and live another way, they see the inconsistency of that. When we say, oh, I love God, I want to serve him, I want to worship him, and then they see that all that we're ever obsessing and focusing on is our work, they see that when they say, yeah, we, I live for God's kingdom, but then they see that all that we're ever talking about is money or hobby or whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. The next holiday or experience. Well, I don't know what it is for each of us. But the point is this, that we cannot do both and not have an external consequence. You see, when people see this inconsistency, It actually defames the gospel. It defames God and his kingdom. So how do we deal with this war? How do we deal with this feud that's going on between the Great Commission and this American dream? How are we to live? Well, if you go back to Romans chapter 12, you'll see that verse one actually answered that. We're kind of doing things backwards here, aren't we? That's okay. Romans 12 I'm going back there and I'm reading with you verse 1 because it says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, as in not by our own goodness or grace or merit, but by God's, I urge you to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. The way we're to live is to present our bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice. Now you may hear me say that and you're like, that kind of sounds like a lot. That's because it is. It is a lot. Like what God asks of us and requires of us is a lot. Now this may spur another question for some of you because earlier I said that God is not content to share his worship. And you're like, well, God's asking for a lot. And you know, why does he even need me to worship him and him solely? Is God insecure? Is God needy? You know, some of us have this false picture of God that God's up in heaven and he's like, man, if they would just worship me, I would feel a lot better about myself. That's a ridiculous view and idea of God, but it is one that some people hold. God is not needy. He doesn't need our worship. He knows what is best for us. He created us and designed us. And the way that he created us and designed us was to have an all in life for him to worship Him wholeheartedly, to be a living sacrifice for Him. He knows that that's what's best for us. And He also knows that when we try to look anywhere else to find satisfaction and fulfillment, it's like going to an empty well and to try and draw up water from it. It's going to be dry. It's going to leave us thirsty. And ultimately, it's going to leave us dead. He alone is the source that can satisfy and give us life. It actually reminds me of John 4 where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well and he doesn't. he's not speaking about actual water when he says this. He says in verse 14, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again ever. Jesus knows what's best for us and that is to go to him and to have him as the source for us. So what is a living sacrifice? We're talking about this, you know, That's what we're called to, this living sacrifice. And I could give you, I could stand up here now for the next few minutes and talk about all these illustrations. Well, such and such did this, and that's a living sacrifice. Or if you do these things, those are living sacrifices. But the simple answer, there really is a simple answer to this. The simple answer is a living sacrifice is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate living sacrifice. He lived as a sacrifice. If you read through the gospels and look at the accounts of his life, what you'll see is that he sacrificed his time, his energy, his prosperity, his security, his relationships, and ultimately his life. So we don't need to look any further than Jesus because when we look at him, we get a very, very, very good idea of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Now, I've got to take a quick pause here and have a little side conversation with you. Because I realize that some of you may think that I'm standing up here today and saying something, and that is this. You may think that I'm saying, hey guys, we just need to look at Jesus and try harder to be like him. Hey everybody, look at Jesus and try harder. Because if you do that, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian message. That is not the Christian life. That is not the Christian message. It actually undermines the gospel. What we must understand is that Christ needs to be two things for each of us. For each of us, he needs to be a mediator and a model. And I'm going to explain that. So this is just a little side conversation, but a very important one. He needs to be our mediator. What I mean by that is he needs to be our go-between, between ourselves and God. We are sinful humans. We are broken. We have tendencies towards sin And yet we are designed to have a relationship with God. God is holy. And there was no way for us to be right with the holy God because we were sinful and broken. The only way for us to be right with God is to have a mediator, somebody who could stand between us. And that is Jesus. That is the gospel. He has to be our mediator. But at the same time, he also has to be our model. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be truly human. If you want to know what it looks like to be a human, you don't need to look any further than Jesus because he is the example that all of us who have experienced the mediation that he's given us are to grow more and more into being like him. Okay? So both things are important. And what I want you to see is if we lose one of these two things, we get in the woods really quickly. Let me explain that. So if Jesus is just the mediator between me and God, What I can then believe is it doesn't matter how I live. I have license to do whatever I want to do. Uh, You know, grace abounds. I can go watch or say or do whatever I want to do. That is not true. That is not what we hear and learn and believe in God's, God's word. God's word says, as you are saved by God's grace, that you are called now to a new life. And that's actually what Romans 12 is all about. Okay? So you can't just have that thought without this thought also. But if you just have this idea that Jesus is a model and he's not your mediator, you're in the woods again. Because if you think, well, I've just got to be more like Jesus. And if I try really hard, I'll impress God with my good works. You've missed the point. We've got to have both things going on. So with Christ as our mediator first, we can look at him and as also our model And we can, through that process of looking at Him, experiencing His grace, looking at Him, we can be conformed into His image. There's that word again, conformed. Did you know that word conformed only shows up twice in the book of Romans? It actually only shows up a few times in the whole New Testament. But it's twice in the book of Romans. We've already read one of the references. And that's in Romans 12, where it says, what? Do not be conformed to this age. So it's, it's giving kind of a, a negative, don't do that. But actually, if you go back to Romans 8, it gives us the positive. Read it with me. Romans 8, it's only back a page. Romans 8, verse 28, which this is such a good verse. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. And usually we just stop there, but keep reading with me. For those who are called according to his purpose, such a good promise. But verse 29 goes on. For those he, God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. So what it's saying here is that, yeah, we're not to be conformed to this age. We're not to just go in line with what this age is showing us. Life is all to be about, but we are meant to be conformed to something. And that is to the image of Jesus. And so as I stood up here this morning and I've said, hey guys, American dream, great commission. I'm kind of saying the same thing a different way. What I'm saying now is, are you being conformed to this age? Or are you being conformed to the image of Christ? And I want for you to wrestle with that this morning. And I want for myself to be challenged with that also. Speaking of challenges, uh, one of my heroes of the in the Bible is a guy named Joshua. Joshua was a leader of, of the people of Israel who took them into the promised land. And towards the end of his life, he got the people of Israel together and he gave them this final charge. He had like this final opportunity to speak, kind of, it's different, but kind of like my opportunity here to speak to you guys. And what he says to them in verse 15 of chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, he says to these guys, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. And as for me and my family, We'll worship Yahweh. We'll worship the Lord. And I feel like in this final moment where I get to speak to you guys, I don't want to really say anything outside of that. I want to say to you guys, is it going to be the American dream or the Great Commission? The world, this age, or Jesus? Who are you going to choose to serve? As for me and my family, we want to follow Christ. I can't say anything better than to simply echo his words. And each of us has the challenge now of saying, Okay, well what does that look like in a practical sense? What is God's will? What does it look like to follow him? If we go back to Romans twelve, there's this cool little promise tagged on the end of what we've just read in in verse two. So it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. As we say, God, I want to be all in for you. My chips are on the table. God, by his grace, will in his perfect timing, help us to discern his good, pleasing and perfect will. What a promise. So just to personalize this, as Liz and I have been wrestling for months with God, what are you calling us to? And really asking ourselves this question this wrestling has led really to this moment where I have this final opportunity to speak to you guys as as somebody who's been a minister in this congregation. And it's led to this moment, and there's a couple of things that are kind of significant that are going on at the same time. So it led to us listing our house for sale. And it led to us saying, we feel that God is calling us to take a step of faith out and away from what has been a very comfortable and good church and family environment. So both of those things are going on at once. And I just want to say this not to like kind of pat ourselves on the back. I I hope you hear me saying this in humility, just kind of as an example of what following God feels like, because it's not easy. I just want you to see this morning, and again, I'm kind of preaching to myself here, that as we've gone through this process of selling our, I want to speak to both of those things, just even selling our house has been hard. Now, a house is just a house. It's like bricks, it's sheetrock and windows and doors. You know, it's a house. But to us, it has become much more than that. We've lived in this house for over six and a half years, which is the longest I personally has, have ever lived in a home. This home has been the place where we had life groups in our home, where we have had mo- many, many conversations, times of sweet prayer with friends and for friends. It's the place where we brought our twin girls home from the hospital, It's the place where my son, uh, I told you I couldn't do this. Um, My son told us he wanted to be a God follower and we got to pray with him. It's a house, but to us, it's been a home. And as we feel that God has led us to say, hey, release it back to me. That's been hard. It feels like a layer is being peeled back. And the layer peeling doesn't feel good, but it does. Does that make sense? So that's happening. Simultaneously, as we've prayed, God, what are you calling us to church-wise? What do you want us? Where do you want us to be investing our lives for your kingdom? We feel that God has called us to step out and away from Point Community Church. And as we've done that, we've realized that much like the house, we have latched security and identity and value to our place in this church family whether that's just the fact that I've drawn an income from this place um, or much deeper onto the fact that this has been a place that our family relationships are all connected to. Also, it's been a place where um, I've had an opportunity to lead and to preach and to teach. And as that layer is peeled back, it hurts, but it feels good. And I can't describe the process much better than C.S. Lewis in his book, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's one of his Narnia books. And in that story, there's this moment where Eustace, who's one of the main characters, he is transformed into being a dragon, and that's not a good thing. He doesn't want to be a dragon, and it kind of limits their plans for continuing to sail on in this journey and this adventure. It's a cool story. Anyway, he's transformed into being a dragon, and finally, Aslan, who is the Jesus figure in the story, he comes to him. He's a lion. He comes to him and he takes him away and says, hey, we need to remove the dragon. And so Eustace puts his claws into himself and starts to peel back the layers and it hurts. And he peels off a layer and he looks and he's still a dragon. It's basically not good enough. And that happens several times. And eventually Aslan says to him, you're going to have to let me do it. And Aslan then takes his claws and sinks them in to Eustace, and it describes the pain that he feels as that layer is stripped back. But it's good because underneath that comes the boy back again, Eustace, to be this man. And as we're going on this process and journey, that's what we're feeling right now: this peeling back of layers and this asking from God, "Are you? Is your security found solely in me?" Is your identity, your worth and value found solely in me? And the reason I tell you all this, again, is I hope not to pat ourselves on the back, but to rather say, this is what an all-in life, life for God is going to feel like. It's not all uh, rainbows and joy and happiness and fulfillment, but it's good. It's, it, it hurts, but it's good. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you open to allowing God to peel back the layers in your life? Are you open to going all in for him? What's stopping you from doing that? Why are you not convinced that God's life for you is better than the American dream? Think about that for a moment. Do you believe that if you go all in for God, that maybe you won't survive or that you won't be satisfied? Think about that as we've personally wrestled, and and it's not like we've figured this out, continue to wrestle with these questions, there has been a quote that has really been good for our hearts to come back and to reflect on. And it's from J.I. Packer. I found it two years ago. In the last six months, it's come back and back and back again. And he says in his book, Knowing God This, we feel that the risks of out-and-out discipleship are too great for us to take. Now, Out and out discipleship. That means all in living for Jesus. So he's saying we feel that the risks of all in living for Jesus are too great for us to take. In other words, we are not persuaded of the adequacy of God to provide for all the needs of those who launch out wholeheartedly on the deep sea of unconventional living in obedience to the call of Christ. Friends, church, God calls us to an unconventional life. It's not going to make sense to your friends and your family members and your neighbors or your co-workers. But it's the life that God is calling us to, unconventional living. That's been a phrase that has become common in our home, unconventional living. And so I want to ask you, are you willing to embrace the unconventional life that God is calling you to? Again, I don't know what that looks like practically and specifically for you. That may mean this all in life for you may look like you hunkering down and saying, I'm all in here at this church family. It may lead you to being sent. I don't know what it means to you. But I do know that there is no greater purpose than for us to wholeheartedly launch out on the sea that God is calling us to and to trust him. So what I want to encourage you with is this. That by the mercies of God, that we would cast off today from the false safety, false safety of the American dream, and launch out wholeheartedly in living for Christ and his commission for us. I can't leave you with any better words. Who are you going to serve today? As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Let me pray.